0: Welcome to the Happy in the Mess podcast. We are your hosts, Marlena, Sherry, and Matthew. We are therapists and coaches, and we want to share our own stories with you, as well as the wisdom, insights, and tips we've learned along the way.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode. All right. Well, welcome to this episode in Happy in the Mess. Today, we're going to discuss rejection sensitivity. What is it? How does it show up? How do you recover from it? And what makes it different than other types of Maybe uh, similar symptoms that people may experience, like social anxiety. So anyway, I'm here with our residents. I mean, our resident experts extraordinaire. We've got Matthew Morgan, the Misfit Coach, and Sherry Timko, the Relationship Coach, season who works with seasoned couples. How can people get a hold of you, really quick, so our listeners know if they need these particular expertise that you both offer?
2: I'm at matthewemorgan.com, or you can look up Misfit Refuge for the coaching. There's a, a- Working hopefully getting a good flow going uh, for that so that people can just kind of go there whether they want counseling or coaching they can just follow the path.
1: Excellent, Hi. thank you.
0: I am Sherry Timko and I'm at sherrytimcare.com and that's where you'll find all my stuff and then of course you can find me on all the social media.
1: Excellent. And I'm Merlina. I'm your dating coach. And uh, you can find me at coachmerlina.com. And this is a topic that I have seen show up a lot, both in coaching and clinically. And I'm so happy that we're going to talk about it today because I think a lot of people suffer from this, but don't even don't have the term for it. Like when I first heard the term, I was like, oh, that's what's happening. Um, and, and a lot of my clients have also, when I've told them about this term, suddenly the light bulb goes off and they're like, realize that that is probably something that they have. So let's um first dive into what is this and and how do we define it?
2: Yeah, it, it, rejection sensitivity, it's 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 an emotional pain that stems from a, a a a fail like a failure or feeling rejected. Um it it's it's something it's internal. It's it's not just like a random thing. I, one of my stories on this because everything reminds me of a story um is in college i was doing telemarketing um and sorry for everybody that got a phone call interrupting dinner it was my fault uh for three weeks um because i literally i did this for one week and i hated it i i just i felt bad it was emotional people would i mean they'd swear at me hang up and you know threaten everybody like they were just they were upset Right. And I took it personally. They didn't know me from anybody else on the planet, but I took that so personally after a week. I just emotionally couldn't handle it. Uh, Now, I worked side by side with people who like they get the little tally marks when people like swear at them. It's like, hey, I got 10 today, you know. Mm
1: -hmm. So
2: it's the exact same set of experiences. But one of us uh, experiences a lot more deeply with that.
1: Mm. A lot of distress, even if it wasn't personal, that kind of repeated sense of rejection really got to you.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, I would add a cognitive piece of it that um, it's almost like, even if we don't consciously keep track, there's a part of our brain that kind of tracks how often we're vulnerable and Mm -hmm. what kind of response we get to that. And so there's some sort of line, and it's very different from person to person. So I can't really define where that line is. But there's some sort of line that once you cross over that line, and you've been vulnerable to a certain extent, or a certain number of times, that it is very, very hard to step over that line again, Mm -hmm. unless something changes. You either gather up more strength or energy, or the other person reaches out to you or something like in coaching. If one of us had a video that went viral or our podcast blew up like something in the outside changes, mm-hmm. and then you're willing to try again.
1: Mm-hmm. So once you've been burned or, or feel like you've been sort of uh, rejected multiple times, it becomes harder and harder to step back out and, and risk have that emotional risk with others. I'm curious though, could you all describe to me what um what types of rejections do you see? Um, like, because I know it's not always just I asked someone out on date and they said no. So what do you what do you classify as a rejection?
0: In couples, I see this a lot. Um it really to me is an indicator that they could end up in a lot of trouble. Um, it's just repeated rejections from the partner. And sometimes those are bids for attention and where one partner is just trying to engage the other one, either in discussion or in an activity or some way of like, let's do something together. And the other partner is either checked out or distracted or thinks that that's not very important. Um, But the other place that I really see that with couples is with sex that a lot of times one partner will have a higher desire than the other. And so they will put out these bids for, you know, some intimate interaction. And if the other partner constantly is saying, no, it's not a good time, I'm not into that, then eventually that that high desire partner really stops asking.
1: Hmm. Absolutely, yeah. and Matthew, what do you see in rejection? Like, what are the types of rejection you witness? It's interesting
2: now because I work with the neurodivergent community. ADHDers really have got uh, a, a good handle on on this. I mean, it, it's a really a bread and butter um, problem uh, that that almost across the board. I hear this from people. Um, and Sherry, I appreciate hearing that even from a couple standpoint because they, my my ADHDers in couples they they get all of that dumped on them um where they where it is it's it's everywhere it's it's social interactions, it's work interactions um you know it's it's just it's one of these things that's prevalent in so many areas and exactly what sherry was saying happens like eventually we we quit making those bids for attention we quit risking, going out you know we we, and it almost programs the brain just to believe that everything is unsafe um so we just kind of close ourselves up and say forget it i'm i'm not coming out but then we're also miserable inside because we just repeat that rejection over and over and over again because there's no counter agent to that story
0: Mm. matthew do you see that same regeneration that people are able to step back out into that space if something changes or do you see once they cross that line that really it's very very hard for them to to reprogram that
2: it's it's very 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 hard um and and I that's why therapy and and even coaching this is very much can be a coaching thing because we can coach somebody through this um And speaking specifically to the ADHDers or the highly sensitives, which also I think have a similar structure in there, it it takes a lot of cognition of knowing these things and trying to reprogram and realize what's going on. One of my examples, and I have cleaned my desk, unfortunately, because I always have things with me, Um, but I usually have like a Lego minifigure here and I'll hold this up to the camera so that the Lego minifigure um, in my head, are roughly the same size, um, and I'll I'll tell the clients like, in our normal healthy brain, we recognize that th- these are two different things. My my head is not the size of a Lego minifigure, and vice versa. A very large head, as my football coach found out. Um, but with rejection sensitivity, uh, with the ADHD brain in general, um, and specifically to rejection sensitivity, the problem is we experience everything big. Right. Everything is big. And so when everything is big, we don't want to go out. We don't want to change because we're frightened, um, because we're scared, because we've tried it before. So to answer the question, as as we work, one of those things is is letting people know that they have superpowers that can overcome this or that these things aren't quite as major. But you have to constantly work and, and be really, really mindful as you go out, as you go about doing this. Um, and especially being careful that we don't repeat it because as soon as it does, we're right back in again.
1: Mm. You know, it's interesting that, um, that I also see this, Matthew, what you're sharing I'm in in the ADHD population. I work with rejection sensitivity seems like a trait across the board, which is, which is not in the DSM. It is not a listed quote unquote trait, but I see it so often. I almost feel like it ought to be listed there. Um, And, and the memory of these, of these moments of rejection is long, long lasting. I mean, I will have clients who will recall things that happened at 12 and 13 and even younger where they felt rejected by a parent or someone else. And like the story seems um, yes, hurtful, but also as a clinician, I I also, and a coach, I'm like, it seems a little out of proportion to how big it seems today. Like your Lego thing was a great example. Mm -hmm. Like it seems like it's huge. Although hearing the story as an objective outsider, like it doesn't. And and of course I don't want to, um, you know, downplay how they, how someone feels, but it is helpful to have some perspective. And it, is that enough though? So I kind of want to move into, how do you, how do you treat this? How how can this be healed?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It... <sighs> a lot of cognitive therapy, a lot of behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, I have found is a super great modality because it helps slow us down and and get us out of that body reaction, right? That initial, where we just go into really a defense mode. Um, I I love that you uh, you use that example. The first thing that jumped to mind as an ADHD or myself, I have fair collection of stories of every mistake that I've made. Um, And the one that I will still go back to is ninth grade. Um, We were writing, um, of all words, this is not a suggestion. It's just the word that I used. It was supposed to be assassinate. um, And I left out three letters. And so it became assinate. Um, And this is an advanced English class, right? Do I know now that The closer you get to a board, the more likely you are to make a mistake spelling because you're trying to do other things and talk at the same time. Absolutely, I know all that now, but I will still go back to that moment. I know this is a chalkboard, if that gives you my age, right? I know it was a chalkboard. It was on the side of the room. I can tell you where my desk was because that's where I, second place that I wanted to be. The first one was somewhere out in the hallway um, as everybody's laughing. Um, So what do we do to fix that? Like, Number one is recognizing that Nobody in my adult career has asked me to spell that word again, um, nor have they held that over my head. Um, I, I was able to get a master's degree and nobody was like, hey, you misspelled this thing, <laughs> right? So grade. it's it's yeah. learning to take that exhale, relax our bodies, recognize that this thing that seems very big to me is, is not very big. Um, and it's that again, that constant repetition is constantly pushing it in there, being mindful of it, Um, and all that stuff kind of packages together. And I I don't want to monopolize things too much, but I think the other part of that is having positivity, right? We want to build self-esteem that my identity is not in spelling words right on the board. My identity is in doing what I do. It's who I am, you know, and the more I can offset, it doesn't get rid of that, but it, it pads it. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, that's really like in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it takes that targeted building of the, of honest self-esteem and not just I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it. People like me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate all of that. Matthew, taking that exhale, getting some perspective, breathing, um, realizing it's not that big a deal. Um, And Sherry, what about you and and working with couples? How do you heal and get over this? A lot of
0: the things that Matthew talked about very much apply here. Um, The main reason that couples feel this rejection sensitivity is because it feels unsafe. So if you want to heal this in your relationship, one of the major pieces is to make that more safe. And sometimes that's about just being more aware of the other person and how they're trying to get your attention. And even if you don't catch those times when they're trying to get your attention, if you intentionally give them your attention when it's convenient, then that fills some of that. It balances it out. Um, The other thing, and Matthew referenced this, um, John Gottman talks about um, positive sentiment and negative sentiment override. And that has to do with how you hear your partner. Um, When you're in negative sentiment override, you hear what they're saying as more negative than what they mean. So your partner could say, how was your day? And if you're in negative sentiment override, you might think that they're judging you or asking you to account for your time, that there's some negative meaning behind that. Mm. Um, So part of the work, and if you're in negative sentiment override, you have to intentionally try to get out of that. So in therapy, we try to, in coaching, we try to increase those positive interactions so that it balances it out. So mm-hmm. you can at least get into that neutral space or positive space of positive sentiment override.
1: Well, this really speaks to how perception really can color our feelings and how everything i mean perception is almost everything it, it almost trumps quote-unquote reality that way you perceive what's happening um because rejection sensitivity is both real and perceived
2: uh-huh. really yeah See. and
1: go ahead matthew I,
2: I would say i was i'll refer to that sometimes as the ghostbusters phenomenon where what we think becomes our our destructor um, or it can also become a, a healer if we can get ourselves in that that right, mm-hmm. right mindset. Sherry, I think it was uh, Dr. Gottman that was, was it a, a five to one ratio, if I remember correctly, for positive to negative?
0: Yeah, yeah. His research found that um, you need a five to one ratio of positive to negative to have a truly great relationship. Um, and I always joke with my clients because um, five to one sounds like a lot. And so I often will say, if you're if you're just looking for an okay relationship, you're probably still looking for a three to one ratio. So mm-hmm. definitely being in that more positive interaction to negative interactions. And so that perception comes in that a lot of times we reach out to our partner with a positive intention, even if it comes out sharp, even if it comes out sarcastic. And so being able to see beyond that and know that your partner was distracted when they said that, and that's why they maybe said it differently than they meant it, that's where that perception really shifts things. So many couples get into arguments about tone. You know, tone does not always reflect what your partner meant. A lot of times it means that they were halfway through a thought and shared that. Or they were distracted by something else, or they had frustration somewhere else in their day. So that that perception is a big piece of it.
1: I really like that little acronym that I learned um, a long time ago, Q Tip, which stands for quit taking it personally. Um, so much of other people's um, reactions towards us don't have anything to do with us, or or we 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 interpret or ascribe meaning with negative meaning when then there wasn't any. Um, so I'm curious, so
0: go ahead Cherry. you know, and this is such an interesting question because what would happen, we have such a negativity bias in our brain, yeah. but yeah. what would happen if you went through your day and you was, you looked for a positive intention from everyone that you interacted with, if you just gave them the benefit of the doubt, or you just assumed that they meant something positive by it, that would like shift the way that whole day would go. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
2: Don Miguel Ruiz, um, if you've ever read The Four Agreements, is um, one of those. I'll give it almost a book status. It's a very, very thin book. It's a very quick read, um, and you can glean a lot through there. But uh, his, his Four Agreements, be impeccable with your word, don't take anything personally, don't make assumptions, and always do your best. And it's like, as I read that, they're so simple, but man, if we could get a hold of that, like this rejection sensitivity would, it would quiet down, um, you know, if, if more people kind of practice just those, those four basics, I
1: think. Mm, I really like that. Thank you for that reminder of that, that great author. Um, I'm curious after, so we know that rejection sensitivity feels like intense, like emotional pain and rejection on the inside. What does it look like on the outside? Like, how do we know someone might be experiencing this when it may not be a, a readily apparent? Okay. Oh my goodness yeah
2: go ahead matthew uh, sorry <laughs> it, the class again i'm going to deal with the neurodivergence the the classic adhd things of you know we uh, we're we're hiding we're not going to start projects right anytime somebody says procrastination i love it i'm like oh like bring it on like no i just procrastinate because i'm adhd i was like no you procrastinate because you're avoiding uncomfortable emotions like so mm-hmm. what are we avoiding Right, and so many. It's this fear, um, vice versa. We, I also see people pleasers. You know, people are like, oh, whatever it takes to make you happy. You know, I'm gonna do that, but they lose themselves in it. Um, so I think those are two of the biggest ones that I see. Sherry, are there ones that you see within couples too? Or?
0: Within couples, I mostly see shut down that mm-hmm. they just stop asking for that attention. Um, maybe this isn't across the board, but I, I think that if a wife stops complaining about something or stops asking for something that a husband should get very concerned because the, her not asking is not that she's decided she doesn't need it. It's she's decided that you can't give it to her.
1: Ouch. What about vice versa? Does that not work in the opposite?
2: It 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 does.
1: does. It's just not what I see typically. So yes, these
0: things almost always work in reverse as well.
1: Okay, so both men and women in a couple, or I mean, in straight couples, I'm sure it also shows up in other um, couples, so they shut down.
2: Yeah, well, I think the other way that you see it too, and and maybe this is that difference, is I I do see men who will, they tend to shut down, but I think conversely, I see probably at least an equal number, if not more, um, the anger, Um, throwing out sarcastic comments, barbs, little quips in there. Um, and it's never about, not never, I don't like using never, usually it's not about whatever they're angry about. It, it's, it's coming out because that's the the steam valve for this rejection sensitive sensitivity that's gone on, you know, and they're, they're frustrated. I don't know if it's, it's not having intimate time or things like that. So now I'm ticked off at the dishwasher, and, you know, mm. so sometimes it takes a little bit of that skilled translator to get through to the the core message.
0: Thank you for bringing in that male perspective. You know, I work in this realm where I have to really see each person's perspective, but it is just a little bit easier to remember the the female perspective. because I, I,
2: Yeah, not that I've ever done that, but I've heard rumors <laughs> of guys who will do this. Um, <clears throat> hopefully it's my so wife's not listening to this one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. Anger and irritability as well as excessive people pleasing and, or just shutting down and not asking anymore. Um, and hiding. I, I hear a lot of shame in that, that goes on with reduction sensitivity. Shame is sort of the emotion that happens. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious how, how does this differ well, really quick, I just want to remind our listeners to like share and subscribe or rate and review. If you're listening outside of YouTube, um, we really appreciate any comments you have. If this is resonating, please let us know. And any other topics that you'd like to, to uh, discuss as we all have share expertise in a variety of areas. So Do it. that I'm- way
2: we don't feel rejected. Right? That way, We're not going to be
1: <laughs> prevent our rejection since right. <laughs> I like sharing, subscribing and giving us good reviews. Oh. So. <laughs> yes, please. Um, I'm curious, how does this differ from, how do we know that this is rejection? How do we know that it's not just social anxiety? You know, we're hiding and and, and not approaching our partners or uh, social situations. How do we know it's not dysphoria? Like, what is the difference between social anxiety, rejection sensitivity, and general dysphoria?
2: I think what you've described is almost a, a bullseye here. I think social anxiety is the the big encompassing part um and a lot of us have social anxiety we we get nervous about going out yeah uh, we we get um this uh, the fear of public speaking um one of the top ones um I know I, I failed speech class in high school and I wish said I would never do a job that I had to talk in front of people
1: mm, ironic
2: <laughs> D- didn't stick with that one obviously um but it took a lot to get there right and that's that social anxiety piece but I think that the rejection sensitivity is something within that that's even more specific right it's i'm not just nervous about being out now i'm nervous about people not liking me not liking what i put out there not being good enough those internal mechanisms so now my alarm bells are starting to go off and i'm seeing those core anxiety symptoms of the get higher in the breath you know the the facial tension the shoulders and the ears meet and you know like that anxiety really starts to show up which of course then makes it even harder to keep a calm brain and work on stuff. Um, The dysphoria, I think, is a narrow subset of all of that because it's rooted in, to me, it's been a lot of times that biological component of ADHD, that inability to filter senses, um, that inability to process um, how big something is, uh, prominence. Um, So that's even, even more... Narrow part, and then that's probably one of the hardest ones to treat because now you've got to go back out through all the other circles, too.
1: Mm, Gotcha. So it's kind of layered almost. It can be a little, you can have all three, um, but there you don't necessarily have to have all three to experience one of these.
0: I think I'm going to add an outside ring to your bullseye because I think when couples get together, they don't imagine that their partner would ever reject them at the level that couples can get into. Um, even healthy couples, even couples who have really strong relationships have sometimes when their partner is not available or says no or, you know, so there's a even in that outer, so that outer ring is coming into the relationship with an expectation of how much time and attention your partner is really going to give you. and that over time, those no's or those times when you're ignored, move you closer in on that bullseye, so that you get into that rejection sensitivity. Now, can it go all the way in? Probably, I'd have to think a little bit more about that. But certainly, I think people come into relationships with, without expecting that their partner is not going to be available to them. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and I also hear in this too. I mean, I'm sorry if I misunderstood you earlier, Matthew, about using your bullseye analogy. But I'm also wondering for both of you, could there be just rejection sensitivity in certain circumstances, but it doesn't show up elsewhere?
2: I think so. I I would have to kind of maybe ponder that one, but I think it definitely it, it can show up in in a particular area if we have that lack of esteem, that lack of support in that particular area. I think that's you know, Sherry, I might be interested to see with couples, especially those who come from families that did not model healthy relationships, how that, I mean, that that might show up and get people on that track pretty quickly, I would think.
0: So I'm going to answer yes and no. Um, It can just be isolated, can just be a part of the relationship or a part of your life. Um, The problem is that over time, if you don't replenish whatever that is that lets you be vulnerable again, then you get exhausted. And then that bleeds over into lots of other areas of the relationship and your interactions with the world. So it has something more to do with resources and replenishing than necessarily that particular area or bleed over.
1: Mm. Well, I've also used um, EMDR to help people, recover from rejection and that has been really helpful, but I'm curious if it's, if, if it's one of those long lasting things that you keep repeating, I'm kind of curious, do do you all know, does EMDR or other type of therapeutic modalities work for this?
0: The strong, so with couples, the strongest way to get over this is to stop doing the thing that your partner is getting hurt by. And the The further in the past that pattern falls, the less hurtful it is and the less you're looking for that rejection. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in couples, a lot of times I'm like, hey, can you pay attention to your partner or can you ask for that attention in a different way? Um, Because what happens with couples is they get to the point where they start making bids for attention and they're more like whispers. Like mm. it takes so much vulnerability to ask for what you want that they just get to the point where it's like they crack that door open and they're like whispering next to the door saying, hey, can I have this thing that's really important to me? So changing how you ask for things often is part of the shift. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think it it does uh, uh, share what you were saying too. Individually, I think it applies as well as... Is... As we have greater life experience, as we start building further things into this, it, it can get better. Um, I know for me, one of the big shifts uh, was, you know, now that I'm in my 40s, um, there's suddenly not a, a big concern about what people think of me everywhere. And I, I'm not trying to win the popularity contest um, that, that I felt earlier. Um, and, and so as that part falls off, the rest of the stuff has more support um and and there's a a sense of just this is me this is who I am and and I can be okay with this um so it it, it's a healing it's there's definitely a scar there there's definitely a feeling that we've we've come through this Mm
1: -hmm. um
2: but the more we work actively healing and not re-triggering and re-traumatizing um I think there is hope to to get better through it
0: Marlena, we haven't heard you talk much about people when they're dating and how rejection sensitivity impacts them. I think that would be really helpful to hear.
1: Yeah, I see it a lot with singles who just um, sometimes in the neurodivergent population and sometimes not where they've just had too many experiences where they feel like they've been rejected. And so it becomes harder to get back out and date again and it becomes harder to... um, especially in the online dating space, there's just plenty of ghosting that goes on whereas someone you're talking to just simply disappears without any explanation. And that happens in real life relationships too, which is actually more hurtful. And so people almost give up trying. And um, yeah, it's a thing. I feel like it, and it may not always show up. It's interesting because I see a lot of women in particular, but men too, who have really full social lives, which is why I was thinking that if you can have it in certain areas but not in others and and they can go out and do things with friends and that's really wonderful but when it comes to the love life it's just so much harder and it, so much riskier and and they can have vibrant full friendships but romantic relationships feel like too much of a risk um and so that that just takes time and work and and having hopefully gathering evidence that suggests that it's not always going to be this hard or this rejecting because honestly at the end of the day most people are lonely and want and want to connect And part of its approach, you know, like how you go about doing that to draw in people who will respond well to your bids for attention and affection, um, having the right, uh, mindset going into it and realizing that again, it's not, it's not personal necessarily when someone rejects you. Um, and it doesn't mean that everybody will. Um, so it's, it's just, it just takes time as Matthew said, and it takes some outside perspective. And if it's been really stingy, like I've had some who have had really sting um, ex-relationships or what have you that that where they felt rejection, that EMDR has worked very well to get over that hump. Um, so yeah, those are the, the things I would say in my population that I work with.
0: Thank you for bringing in that perspective. That also reminds me that a lot of these things also apply when you're talking about friendships like putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and having people not respond to that or Mm -hmm. even respond to it for a while and then stop. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of those dynamics there as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to make friends as an adult too. You know, it's not only hard to date, it's hard to make friends and, um, unfortunately there's this negative feedback loop that happens like once you've been rejected then you're more likely to isolate and not go out and that one, and then you become more suspicious of people and their motives and then it just feeds into itself and the loneliness gets deeper and the rejection sensitivity gets worse and I'm sure a lot of people experienced that during the pandemic too and um, yeah so I just want everyone to know you're not alone and that there's a way to get out of this go ahead Matthew
2: and on that note I, and I wanted to wax a little seriously here real quick, if it's okay, because I think that's in its most severe form, this rejection sensitivity really starts to turn inward. And a lot of people, this I think is where self-harm, um, harming others, this is where in its most severe form, not that everybody gets there, but it, it's where it opens the door most to that. Um, we talked about the shutdown effect of it. Um, and I would say that there's that there's always that worry. If somebody gets to that point, if you feel like there's no hope, there's no way to come in, um, everything shuts down. It's, it's, has that strong propensity. And if uh, I don't know why I'm feeling like this way, then we don't normally do this, but if somebody's there if one of our listeners is there and, and feeling like there's no hope and nothing, you know, nothing else is there, make sure you're reaching out, reach out to um, the, the national suicide prevention hotline, local crisis lines, 911 um, in most localities um, will will be there. Um, I know our we have a our uh, metropolitan police actually has a mental health um, an entire mental health unit um, that's trained for things like this, which I think is a phenomenal uh, bonus in this time. So, not not to get too serious, but I think if anybody finds that they're in this rejection sensitive or knows somebody who is in that shutdown point, make sure you're checking in on them and and know that they're okay and and help help with them, get them back with these steps here. Thank you,
1: Matthew. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing those resources. Um, Well, on that note, are are there any takeaways you'd like our listeners, I mean, other than what you just shared, Matthew, that you'd like people to walk away with from this episode on rejection sensitivity?
0: Well, I guess I just want to encourage people to look for the good in their partner Mm -hmm. and to be open to doing things differently. That's really where you get out of rejection sensitivity with couples is you do something different.
1: Thank you.
2: I think likewise, if we compare, I love the five to one Gottman ratio, um, but internally we can't always do that. That um, is the gold standard. But if, even if we can do a one-to-one, like when you feel like having these negative thoughts, try to find one positive thing and we're not replacing it. We're, again, we're giving, cause I want, I'm a big fan of owning the emotion. Um, so yeah, upset that we misspelled this word on the board, but you know what, we're also okay. We do these other things well, and that's all right, you know, and if you can get in that habit of even just pairing those, a lot of times it, it prevents that negative spiral.
1: Mm. And I would say too, what I learned today is like your perspective may not always be accurate. So, you know, checking in with a friend who might have a different perspective can be so helpful for that check. Um. Anyway, like I said, like, share and subscribe, rate and review if you like this episode and let us know if you resonate. We love to hear from our listeners and we will see you next week for our next episode to be announced. (laughs) Uh, Thank you all.